0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. How much risk are you willing to take in investing your money? Do you want to make sure that you don't even lose a penny? Or are you willing to go big or go home by investing in extra risky but high-paying ventures? Today, we'll discuss risk in investing. Give us a call this morning. Our phone number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or send an email to money at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. This is Bunny Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy lautridge Anderson, associate professor of finance at Mississippi College, and president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. So, how much risk are you willing to take in investing your money? Do you want to make sure that you don't even lose a penny? or are you willing to go big or go home by investing in extra risky but high paying ventures. Today we're going to talk about risk in investing. Also we're looking for any personal finance questions you have today so give us a call the number is 1877 MPB ring. It's 1877 Six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to money at mpbonline dot org. Always a reminder that if you miss part of this show or you just would like to hear it again, one place to find it is mpbonline.org dot org slash money talks. Also, if you download the MPB Public Radio app, you can listen to MPB Think Radio on your schedule on your iPhone or Android phone. So, uh, good morning to you both. Hope that you're doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, did either one of you take advantage of the sales tax holiday this past weekend? I
2: didn't. I just, uh, you know, I don't like to get into the fray on that. Um, I actually did a little shopping beforehand because, you know, as we talked about in the office, it was just 7%. So you had to lure me with something more than that.
3: I, uh, I don't think I left the house all day Saturday, although... I did have a friend in town who asked if she could pick anything up for me, and she got some dish soap, but I don't know if that was included. I don't don't think think so. so. (laughs) Okay,
1: so no, I didn't participate at all, not even indirectly. So it was also Friday, though. So Friday, right? And Saturday. Friday and Saturday. Yeah. And in my case, I got no sales tax, but also there was an additional thirty percent off the price of the shoes.
2: Well, yeah. and that's what you had to really look for—not just the seven percent, but that those uh, retailers had to offer something else. You had to have coupons, other sales, for it really to make it worth your while to brave the crowds.
3: There are some interesting things we saw. Some. Uh, Jackie was telling us some retailers' pri- shoes or something that were normally priced at one hundred and twenty or one hundred and ten or something, they lower that price just below one hundred, so it would also oh, that's be eligible. Right. Yeah, because I forgot about they had that, that price yeah. limit. So, so if you're buying at that price point, it might have worked out really well for you.
1: Uh, I was uh, surprised that uh, I went to the outlet mall in Pearl. We so live around there, so it was an easy drive, obviously. But uh, the, there were a number of stores that I didn't think the um, the selection was that good um you know not much stock out there so which i thought was interesting and i went on friday evening so it wasn't mm. like people had beat me to it so maybe they just hadn't put the uh, the stock out yet but anyway uh but that's uh, and i funny i look back on my you know facebook has that thing that shows you your memories or whatever and I apparently document my. We do this every year, year right? holidays. Right? <laughs> it's always a pair of shoes, so it's very simple for me. Once I get my shoes, I'm done. Go home. Have a have a good weekend. So, uh, what about financial news in the news?
2: Well, uh, markets are still doing quite well. Oil prices are bumping up a little bit um, over fifty. That's kind of good news, bad news. It really is happening because we're seeing U.S. production decline somewhat so those people who are in that uh industry uh might be feeling that pinch but then that helps with the price of oil
3: yeah and um- But we've had, for the on the consumer side, we've had such low gasoline prices for a long time. So it doesn't really. We don't really notice that. Super. And
2: I think um, uh, I actually went out of town this past weekend. But um, I I think the low price of oil has encouraged a lot more car travel, and you've seen that with people more willing to jump in the car and go because it costs so much less now.
3: It's been low long enough that. You know, even that—that kind of the the tourist travel, like you mentioned, has really supported some areas that you know depend on tourist travel. But you know, when it's when uh, gas prices are high, not a lot of people are coming. But when they're low for long enough, not only are they having good business, they've had good business for a long time. There's going to be even more development.
1: So I've got the card, so I get five cents off a gallon every time I fill up. So.
2: Oh, I love those extra points and things that add up. Yeah,
1: yeah. this was uh, was Shell, and you just get the card, and it's one of those where you buy and you're supposed to get, you know, if you buy certain products or whatever. But the other thing is that it gave you originally three cents off, and I guess I've used it so much that I get five cents off now. So that's a nice little thing, and so I always fill up at the same brand. <laughs> there you go, brand, mm-hmm. brand loyalty. That's right. You're going to give me some money off. You're, you're I'm, I'm your customer for
3: life. Well, I passed by about 10 gas stations on the way to work, so I check the gas price on the way to work, and then on the way back, I know which one to stop at. Yeah, but uh,
2: he drives just, a hybrid, so, so, just, so you that's, know? Just, It's
3: a
1: once-a-month thing, you know? It's my, my, little, my little gasoline day. He chuckles <laughs> at all the people in line at does. the gas stations he drives by. <laughs> This is an interesting question in an email, so I thought uh, we would take this right off the top here. It says, um, when I heard that Bancorp South was the only Mississippi chartered bank not a member of the Federal Reserve, it worried me. Should it? What does that mean for the average account holder?
3: Um. Not a whole lot. Um, one thing the Federal Reserve system helps, kind of on on your your retail side, is a lot of you know uh, because that's what banks use to send money to each other. So if you're writing a check or processing a payment or or just sending a you know sending a bill payment or something, um, I, most bank to bank things it'll go you know you'll you'll tell. You tell Trustmark, okay, hey, Trustmark, I need to send this to someone at Regions, And so Trustmark's like, all right, cool. They write that down at the end of the day. They send that money through their account at the Federal Reserve uh, and and pop it over into Regions' account because that's a bank where they both have accounts. Um, and so that's kind of how the system works. Uh, as for Bancorp South not being a part of that, you know, Possibly create some issues with how long it takes transfers to take. But, uh, you know, with technology these days and interbank transfers are getting, I mean, I've even noticed in the past six or seven years, interbank transfers have gotten faster. I don't think that's a huge issue. Um, They may, in times of uh, in times of financial stress they may have uh, may not be able to access uh, very cheap funding from the Federal Reserve uh, but in emergency situations you know all the rules go out anyway um, so if you were like super duper worried about it you could look at their kind of um, what you know their their credit quality and and their sort of reserves on hand anyway, but that is not the same as FDIC. So they're still FDIC yeah. insured, which I think that is usually talking about risk today risk of losing your yeah, money. Yeah, that's if what your most people are
2: concerned about. Yeah. Right.
3: So the Federal Reserve System has some emergency funding for them and facilitates transfers, Um but. Uh, but that's not really w- what most people are worried about. So on the retail side, you shouldn't be too concerned.
1: Well, thank you, because as I read that, I did misinterpret that to mean FDIC. So, But right. th- yeah, that's yeah. Interesting it's interesting that that's not the same. That's so. a All
2: separate right. uh, agency.
1: Okay, so we're talking about uh, determining your risk when investing this morning, and so I guess actually, let's see. We've got another uh, an, an email, not an email, but a question from a an employee here who asks, "How do I determine when to resell my car if I don't want to be upside down?" Also, any tips on staying on task with payments, like making one extra payment each year.
2: And my response to that was, um, this is kind of an unusual situation. You need to be very careful on the loan on a car on the front end, because remember, when you drive that car off the lot, it begins to depreciate. It loses value immediately, unlike most homes. And uh, so that means you need to be careful about not taking out too big of a loan, representing too big of a value on the front end that will automatically decline. And if you don't get Keep pace with that. You will be upside down. So I think it's just a matter of, you know, I don't think you need to worry about when you're going to resell. It's uh, does this car serve my needs? Um, Can I get something better at a better price point for me? Um, And I wouldn't make extra payments on a car. Again, look at the loan on the front end. Don't get 100 percent loan on the uh, of the value of the car. Um, and we've heard of some people who've swapped out cars and carried over loans. That sometimes happens with some lenders, and that's how they end up being upside down.
3: Um, just to reiterate what Nancy said, don't don't buy or sell your car purely on the financial considerations. You know, If you really desperately want to sell your car, sell your car. If you don't want to sell your car, but it might be a good deal to do so, but then you wouldn't have a car, don't. Don't sell your car. That doesn't make any sense. Also, as far as you know, staying on top of your lo- loan payments. I mean, just set your bank up to do automatic payments. Doing an extra payment every year or every day or every month or every decade isn't going to make a difference. Um, it's going to reduce the balance. But if you miss the next payment, you've still mix, missed the next payment. It, it, that doesn't affect your your credit worthiness, uh, so to speak. Um, so just make the payments re- required of you um, and drive it till the wheels fall off. I don't know.
1: Well, I mean, that's what I like to do. I, I When I buy a car, I'll pretty much at least drive it until it's paid for and then I'll get as much out of it as I can because I I like not being ha- not having a car payment. But that thing, I guess, to determine your upside-downness would be how much you can get if you sold a used car versus right. how much is left on your loan.
2: And, and I'm back to what Ryder said is, okay, you sell the car... You've got to have a replacement, right? And so that usually it usually means a more expense.
1: Yeah. It's interesting to me also how aggressive, I well, I'm, this is the first time I guess in a while I've had a, a relatively new car, but I've gotten several communications from the person oh, who yeah. sold it to me asking it's to buy it Come in
2: it and back. buy another one, and yeah. we, can, we can sell yours on the
1: Now that you lot. worked yourself halfway out of debt, come on and get back <laughs> yes. into debt again with a new car. I'm like, well, no thanks. I like my car. Thank you very much. So, yeah. All right, so uh, when we talk about uh, determining risk in investing, I guess the first thing, is you have to determine how much?
2: No, the first thing is you have to ask the question: What is risk?
1: Okay. Oh, that's right? so good. I was yeah. going to say. that if you didn't. Okay,
2: because um, we define risk one way in finance. I tell my students this, but investors define it a different way. So um, we define risk as uncertainty anything other than what we expect to happen. The problem with investors is they only see risk on the downside. So if they earn um, 10% and they were sp- expecting 8%, they don't see that as risk. We measure that as risk in finance. We literally measure both sides, whether we get more than we expect or less than what we expect. For investors, it's always, I don't want to get less. And so that's where we have to look at um, that perception of what is risky and uh, really think about what are our expectations and plan for that.
3: Yes. And I was going to say kind of two ways of thinking about it. You know, we invest in stocks and bonds because we expect a return um, over the long term. We think, you know, this is going to provide a great return. Um, so say you have $1,000 and you put that away for 10 years and you need, you say, all right, in 10 years, I need this $1,000 to be $2,000. So the risk there is that you don't have $2,000 at the end of 10 years. Um, you would need a return of about seven or so percent to to hit that $2,000 mark. But if your return was lower, then that risk became a real thing that affected you, um, and so you wouldn't have that two thousand dollars. And another way of looking at it is just the risk of loss. And I think last was it last week with um, Tony Jeff from Innovate Mississippi kind of illustrated that really well. He said something about out of every out of every ten companies that you invest in at such an early stage, six of them you're going to lose all your money. So say you put a hundred dollars in ten different companies, six six hundred dollars gone three of those companies might return that hundred dollars. You know, it's, it's not a roaring success, but like they didn't die on you. And then that last one might provide all of the returns. So that's, that's kind of why, uh, you know, if you just invest in one of those companies, you could, you're probably investing in the one that loses money. So you want to diversify your investments so that your risk of losing everything is lessened. And, um, and you're more likely to find those things that have returned to compensate for the risk. That Which a, that brings you're us about. to
2: diversification. We always hear. Yeah, wow,
3: that was quick. That's, we, yeah. We that's, really got to diversification.
2: <laughs> quick. That's I'm a so good sorry. thing <laughs> that you have, you know, not all your eggs in one basket, that you have different investments. But the problem is that a lot of people think they are diversifying. But they're not because you have to have investments that move differently from each other under different market conditions in order to really reduce the risk. And that's what diversification is all about. How do I put together this puzzle of a portfolio Mm -hmm. so that I have different things that will respond in different markets so that I lessen my overall risk? Now, when you do that, you may be lessening your overall return.
3: Right, or you could be increasing it because of the
2: uh, don't complicate the, things.
3: <laughs> uh, modern portfolio theory, but a good way of looking at that is that um, there are a billion ways you can categorize companies. Um, you can say the company is big or it is small. You can say this is an oil company or this is a uh, food company, and um, or this which is brings a, up a you US know
2: if you think about uh, oil prices declining recently, right. and you think look at those oil companies right. that have declined whereas the overall market has been roaring. Right. So there you see they're moving in opposite directions.
3: Right. So I mean, that's exactly it. You know, sometimes, sometimes companies are moving together because they're all large companies. You know, all the big companies are doing well for some reason or all the small companies the are doing well for some reason or all the foreign companies are doing so well for some reason. Sometimes it's based on the sector. You know, finance companies doing well for all of the finance companies do well for the same reason all the time uh, oil companies doing well for the same reason or even within that you know maybe it's the you know large oil producers you know maybe it's the Exxon and the BP doing really well but maybe it's uh, the oil services or maybe it's these small exploration companies doing well so all the different ways to categorize and that's what we talk when we're talking about diversifying them um, You want to have not only large, not only small, but you want to have within your large, you want to have, you know, technology and oil and finance and food and and all sorts of things. Uh, So kind of broadly diversifying so that you don't have that risk of just one description of company doing poorly.
1: All right. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we will continue talking about uh, determining risk when it comes to investing. Also looking for any personal finance questions that you have today. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more after this. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Locher anderson Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're talking about risk uh, risk and investing today. We're also looking for personal finance questions that you have for us. A reminder of the phone number, it's 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Send us an email, money at mpbonline.org. Get some phone calls in. We'll begin in Biloxi. Sheila has called in today. Good morning, Sheila.
4: Hey,
5: good morning. Um, I have found a stock just by going through a dividend calendar online, and this stock pays six and a half percent dividend yield. The only thing is, it has no S and P rating, and I wonder what that means and how risky that might be.
2: So, what is the company?
5: Uh, Sanofi, Shanghai Petroleum, uh, SHI.
2: Okay, um, so we're talking about a foreign company. That could be one reason. Um, S&P offers ratings on a limited number and certainly fewer foreign companies than US companies. Um, foreign companies tend to pay higher dividends, but one caution with any kind of high yield on those dividends is are you sacrificing overall return meaning that you're going to end up uh, selling at some point for a lower share price than what you bought into it just to get that high yield so you have to figure out where is that coming from those dividends come out of earnings so you have to go back to what are the earnings Will those earnings hold up so that they can continue paying those dividends? But we do see some um, big dividend payers out there, particularly in pharmaceuticals. And remember that dividend yield is a function of the share price. As the share price gets higher, it's a math thing, right, Ryder? Yes. That percentage dividend yields decline. So when you have low share prices, then those, you see those dividend yields um, look really healthy.
3: And I would say one thing: the uh, I guess you're looking this up through maybe your broker or uh, just an online screener. Um, often those S and P ratings, if they're if, if that's a rating for the stock, um, a lot of the S and P ratings, a lot of that is you know kind of um, uh, automatically generated. It's not quite like the uh, bond ratings, which are a lot more in depth reports. Um, and something like that. I mean, you know, you can that looking for the dividend is one one out of uh, thousands of different aspects of a company you could look at, um, and so kind of. But like, it's a good one.
2: It's a good one because it um, indicates that it's typically there's some healthy earnings there. Not all the time.
3: It's 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 a factor that exists. Um,
5: well, may I interrupt? My strategy is to buy after the um, after the x-date and the you know the price runs up coming up to the x-date and not so much to get the dividend but just to get the run-up before the dividend gets paid
2: all right um... the x-date is going to be the first day it trades excluding the dividend prior to that if you buy the stock then you're entitled to get that dividend um, right. So, I don't really understand this strategy uh, because, you know, um, some people will buy before to grab the dividend. We do know that uh, stock prices decline about 90% of the amount of the dividend. Um, normally we would think it would be one-to-one. So if there's a dollar dividend, it should decline by $1 because they paid out a dollar of their earnings. They're no longer in the company. We think it's 90% because of tax issues. Um, So,
5: Well, my idea is that it's going to be very low the day after your last chance to buy it and get the payment. And it does, uh, this stock, I've watched it, it dropped seven points after the last x date and now it's come back up and that was two months ago
2: right i Um, i think um you don't need to uh and and again the dividend indicates maybe they have healthy cash flow that's what you like but you're really looking backing up to healthy cash flow so you shouldn't really it's not really the greatest strategy to trade on that dividend you're either buying the stock because you think it's a healthy company and you like the dividend because maybe you need the income on a regular basis or you don't like the company?
5: Well, it's for the dividend basically, but I thought if it made a big run-up and, you know, run-down, I could, you know, buy and then sell high. (laughs) But uh, it's a healthy company, I think, so I guess I'd be all right either way.
2: Okay, well, take a look at all kinds of things related to that. And remember, foreign companies... Tend to pay higher dividends than U.S. companies. We have seen that. We don't know why that is, but that is the case. Um, and um, make sure that you're buying it for all the right reasons. And of course, when you buy a company that pays a dividend, you're going to be paying tax at the dividend rate uh, on what is paid out to you.
5: Oh, okay. All right. I'm kind of foggy on that aspect of it. But uh, okay. Well, uh, thank you very much.
1: All right. Good luck. Yeah, Thanks Thanks for the call. Uh, let's move on next. We've got another caller, and it's Julie in Memphis. Good morning, Julie. You're on the air, so go ahead, please.
4: Hey, good morning. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, go sure.
1: ahead.
4: Okay. Um, I wanted to know about, I have a 401k that I have contributed to for quite some time now, and um, I now work for a privately owned real estate investment firm that does not offer 401k, but I've been recently concerned about uh, fees involved with 401 and just the uh, volatility of the 401s in general. Would there be anything within the real estate industry that I would be able to invest all that money in uh, where it would be safer and a better return, a rollover, so to speak, with no tax implications or penalties?
2: Right. Well, you can because what you're talking about is this is a former employer, right?
4: Uh, well, my current employer, yes, my, my plan is from former. Okay. Uh, my current employer does not have a 401k plan right now.
2: All right. Does your current employer offer any kind of retirement?
4: Uh, no. It's uh, He's been in business for 40 years. I just came on board with him, and that's something that we're just in the beginning stages of talking about, and okay. I haven't even thrown this idea out to them
2: yet. But All right. I uh, would say to you, um, with a 401k, um, I, I don't really understand your comment about volatility, because all of that depends on what you're invested in within the 401k. You choose the funds. Now, we do have some issues with fees and that depends on who's providing your 401k who's administrating all of that and so um different companies have access to different types of 401ks that can some of them have high fees some of them have low fees um if this is a former employer and you it's the money still sitting there you're no longer contributing you probably need to roll it over to an IRA you open up an IRA account somewhere you would choose a company with low expense ratio funds so that you can access those funds. You fill out their paperwork, open the account, and then tell your former employer, I've got a new account. I want to roll it over to an IRA. You can have a set of forms and it goes over. There's no tax to pay and you'll get, uh, in the process, you will get a larger universe of investment options, more funds to choose from. And hopefully, if you've done your homework, lower expense ratios.
4: Actually, I believe I've done that already. Um, I'm no longer affiliated with my ex-employer, and I've gone to Fidelity. Yes, that's Um, a good one. Yeah, I don't believe it's an IRA. To my understanding, unless I'm mistaken, I thought it was still a 401k plan, and I chose uh, moderately aggressive, um, and they managed the funds for me, and Uh, I've chosen certain funds that I'm contributing to, but they are uh, free to move around, change, buy, sell, um, obviously with their fees
3: involved. Um, So if it's still a 401k, it doesn't sound like you've actually rolled it over. Uh, Fidelity is a huge 401k provider, so it's possible that they just kind of moved you to uh, um,
2: what? What Fidelity often does, if there is a 401k, they will encourage you to do a rollover to an IRA and leave it with Fidelity. So I can't, t- you have to look on your account statement. What does it yeah. say? Does it say 401k or does it say IRA? Okay, and I'll look. I'm, uh,
4: don't and
2: and the other thing I would say to your new employer, uh, depending, how many employees does this person have? Oh,
4: gosh, there's
2: only going to be two of us that are even interested in doing this. Well, um, no, how many in total? Four. Four. okay then this person needs to set up a simple IRA and it's very easy one page document you guys can open accounts um, and you can talk to him and they have you know about the possibility of a match but this person as the owner can also contribute and help himself on tax savings and building for retirement.
4: Yeah, and that was something I was going to talk
2: with him about as well. I just didn't know if real estate would
3: be a better option for me. No, no. Yeah, and so like we were discussing before, you know, you can divide your investments all into all different pieces. You can say what sector it is, you can say how big it is, you know, and putting it, you know, kind of – in the implication here is that you would put it all in real estate that is very much putting your eggs all in one basket and so you know kind of the great thing about having an IRA or something at fidelity is you have access you can you can put it in small us companies large us companies stocks bonds foreign companies all sorts of options. Um, you can put it in some publicly traded uh, real estate if if you're comfortable having that there. Um, if you want that as part of your portfolio, but um, but the volatility is not due to it being a 401k or an IRA. Uh, the volatility is just due to it being you know how it is invested, and especially if you've already gone through a risk questionnaire with Fidelity. I mean, that's you know I think we're probably maybe going to have time to get to that later on in the show. But the risk questionnaire, they will kind of decide, you know, they will determine what they expect to get out of these investments, what, the, how they expect these investments to perform. And it should be appropriate for you. Again, keeping in mind that if this money is for retirement, you know, if this money is for 5, 10, 20 years down the line, you don't really care if it goes down a dollar to a day or even a lot in a single day or a month or a week or a year as long as It's still, you know, on track for, you know, again, you know, if you put away a thousand dollars today and want two thousand dollars in 10 years, you don't care if it goes to nine hundred tomorrow as long as it's still two thousand dollars in 10 years.
2: Um, Julie, I would say to you, if this is a real estate business, what I have found with a lot of real estate brokers and agents is they know real estate and that's what they want to invest in and so they've been hesitant to look at anything as far as retirement. They like to have their properties. But I think if you can approach your employer by talking about the tax savings and um, how it's going to benefit this person as well as employees who will feel better, that may be, be what it takes to get him to start it.
4: Okay. All right. All right. That's good advice. Thank you very much. Appreciate
1: uh... with it. Thanks for the call, Julie. We need to take another break. When we get back, we will continue Money Talks, looking for your personal finance questions. Also, we're talking about the risk in investing uh, this morning. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. We'll be back with more of the show after this.
0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy lottridge Janderson, and Ryder Taft. We're talking today about uh, determining your risk in investing. Also taking some personal finance questions. If you have one, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 You can send an email to money at org. Ryder mentioned the uh, risk questionnaire. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But I mean, just some, I guess, if some general things that might go, come into the consideration when determining how much risk that you can take on, I guess, what age might be one of them? What are some other factors? So
3: we've, I, I look at two main factors. There are a handful of factors, but two main things um, is how long is it going to be before you need the money? And how much are you going to need? So, say, say you have $100,000 and you need um, $101,000 tomorrow. You need to make you need to make money um, you need to make that one percent, but if you have a hundred thousand dollars and you're only going to need like you know a hundred thousand dollars in ten years, you have a long time you have a long time period before you need that money. you have a long time to take some risk uh, if, um, for the possibility of gain um, and likewise, you know if you only need a if you only need to withdraw if you only need to earn income a small amount of income on your account then you can take a little more risk because if you do lose money, then you still have plenty. Uh, whereas if you need a, a lot of income, you need to be a little more conservative because it's more important that you hit that amount.
2: Which comes back to, you know, you have to look at, well, what are your goals with this money? What exactly. Do you, I always say to people, what do you want to do with this money? Well, you know, you may have some short-term goals. Oh, I need to buy a new car. Uh, before right. the end of the year, you may have some intermediate term goals. We want to buy a house in the next three to five years. You may have then some longer term goals, which is um, we just had a new baby and we're going to prepare for college education or we've got retirement. And so wherever you are on that time spectrum with your goal is how you need to match the investment so if you have something that's very short term you don't need to be taking risk because we don't know what's going to happen in the short run you know we can we can have a better sense over a period of you know 10 20 30 years what we can really expect to earn on a set of money but you know markets can go crazy from one day to the next and Mm. so you don't need to be taking risk with uh, short-term money that you're going to need for short-term goals.
1: We've got another caller on the line, so we will welcome Gerald from Diamond Head into the conversation. Good morning, Gerald. Good morning.
5: Uh, I understood the young lady when she was saying that uh, when you buy a stock at 6%, and uh, the bottom line is, though, if that stock heavily appreciates, you're still getting that underlying 6%. Well...
2: um, if, yes. Um, if they keep paying it, if absolutely. If they keep paying yeah. it, yes. But if they don't cut the dividend, right?
5: that's correct. But you're still getting that underlying 6% you bought of that. And a lot of these stocks today, like you're saying, the big ones that are growing, they, they are not, many of them haven't cut their dividend. And they appreciated. So I, when I bought that 5%, I not only got the capital appreciation, but I'm still collecting that 5%.
2: Right. As long as you get both of them, that's great. And, that's again, right. I come back to dividends are paid out of earnings. And um, the problem is they don't match them exactly because, as you say, companies don't like to cut their dividends because if they cut their dividends, that's a negative signal. That says to the whole marketplace, we're having cash problems.
5: And I say something's wrong.
2: Yes, and then their stock will be punished. So there is the tendency to consistently raise your dividends, but if that is truly matched with consistent rises in earnings, that's a great thing.
5: Yeah, and, and and I'm gonna just hang up here. But if you guys could talk about risk aristocrat stocks and things like that, so people know what those mean those that those stocks that pay dividends over 25 and 50 years and have been that they, I think that would be very
2: interesting. Okay. Thank you.
3: All right, Gerald, thanks for your call. Okay, so what he's talking about there with dividend aristocrats, uh, essentially, the, and this gets into the indexing discussion as well, dividend aristocrats is, I forget who maintains the list. It may be State Street. It may be S&P. But it, it's a list of companies. Uh, they meet a certain criteria, and one of them is that they've been raising their dividend, paying out a dividend and raising it without cutting it for at least 25 years. Um, so it, it's, it's a it's a way of gathering a list of names of companies that have some stability in dividend payment there and there's you know things like the dividend achievers list i think they're only looking for 10 years as well as some financial stability there um but all of these you know again dividend is one of you know say several thousand metrics you could look at um and it is you know more important than some less important than others just as important as others so it's it's w- certainly one place to start but again you know you can look at a company and it says okay the dividend is 6% that's kind of a made up number because it's based on what they have paid in the past and their current price so it's not a real thing in any sense but in order to get that six percent dividend, they need to continue paying at that same rate, uh, which you know they may or may not. But like he said, with the with the arist- dividend aristocrats and the dividend achievers, those are all companies that have a very good record of paying it out consistently. Um, but that is not any guarantee that they will continue doing so, and it's not any guarantee that the f- company will remain financially viable in the future either.
2: Well, and remember, when you buy a share of stock. You're buying a piece of their future earnings, and that's what a dividend represents. I'm, I'm getting a piece of that earnings back to my pocket. And so that is just something tangible. I've got the cash coming back in. And um, so as Ryder said, that that's one thing that you can look at, and certainly it's important if you like the stability because companies that pay out dividends on a regular basis and regularly increase those dividends – tend to be a bit more stable. They tend to be larger companies. They've been around for a while. And um, so that gives you a little bit more security, especially when the market's um, uh, fluctuating a lot.
3: And just a cautionary, since, I mean, we are talking about dividends a lot, a cautionary tale about dividends. There's a whole sector of the market, uh, master limited partnerships, and especially in the coal and oil uh, fields that they would be structured in such a way that they paid out a huge amount of their earnings. And... Uh, so they're very attractive because they're paying very high dividends. Everyone's like, "Oh, dividend! This is great. I'm gonna. I'm getting just just like you said. Uh, at least I'm getting that six percent or eight percent dividend. That's what people would say. Um, a lot of these companies went bankrupt in the past few years, um, and some were very large companies. So it's it's not like these were small things that hardly anyone was invested in. These were very large companies. Uh, the The underlying economics just weren't there for the business when when Prices turned south um, or when the company had trouble and the financial strength was just not there. Um, so, again, dividend is one metric of thousands that you can and should look at.
2: Well, and let's just uh, come back to how are you going to earn a return on an investment where well, you're going to get it from two sources? You're going to get cash while you hold the investment, and that's what a dividend is or interest on a bond. And then you're going to get cash when you sell the investment. And so the combination of those two will then tell us what your return was on that investment. So if you get all of it on, on the front end with cash while you're holding it, but you have a negative return when you sell it, then you're going to end up losing less or losing part of that that you got from the dividends.
1: We need to take one final break this hour. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Still time to call in a question if you have one for us today. Uh, We'll take this break and we'll return to wrap up the program. Welcome back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, who is Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We've been uh, taking some personal finance questions as we talk about risk when it comes to uh, terms of investing this morning. i got about eight minutes left in the show and some open phone lines, so if you'd like to call in a question, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring it's 1-877-672-7464 so if i were to ask an example of a risky or a safe investment i guess the answer would be different for different people is that right i mean does it depend on your circumstances yeah, it,
2: um there are a lot of things uh writer mentioned the main thing is is how long do you have before you need this money um uh what are your liquidity needs as far as cash needs um, in the meantime, um, there are all kinds of um, unique situations. And one of the things that I always like to talk to people about, well, what's your experience with been investing before? So if I've got somebody who's a novice, then then I need to tread a little bit more carefully and they need to learn a little bit more versus just jumping in on something that's very aggressive and risky. And, um, you know, often when you do these risk questionnaires, the first thing they ask you is, how old are you? Mm-hmm. and they will slot people into risk categories based on their age. I have found that doesn't always work. You know, I have got 80-year-olds who love stocks. They've done them their whole lives. They're very comfortable with them. And then I've got 25-year-olds who are scared to death of the stock market, um, even though they seem to be perfectly fit for right. that they have a long term. And so it can be very personal.
3: Yeah. So the you know, like we mentioned, the the time horizon, is a huge factor how much money you have compared to how much money you need is a huge factor but investor comfort is a huge thing because you know I I say all the time you know we can build the perfect portfolio for somebody we can just build a you know a great a beautiful portfolio for somebody and if they are not comfortable with it they will get out of it at the wrong time um so while we and have And it has happened. While we have to yeah. you know, people who are maybe more cautious than they should be, part of our job is to bring them bring them to a portfolio that's going to perform better because what a lot of people don't realize is that they're like, Okay, yeah, cash is safe. It's not going anywhere, and that's true. But if and you can even save a ton of money and keep putting it in cash, you can have a huge bank account. But if it's not enough money when you need it, that's a problem and that's and that's a risk with things like just putting money in cash the risk is that you don't have enough when it comes time to spend it um so you know when you do have a long time horizon you can be more aggressive and part of our job is to
2: and that's what we've been saying. We've been having conversations um at the college. I'm on the retirement committee about looking at the default option right now. The mm-hmm. default option in our 401k and many 401ks, ours are 403b, is um something that's like a stable money market, like a savings account. Yeah. Well, that seems like it'd be a safe option. But If it means you don't accumulate as much as you need to when you should be saving for a long-term goal and you have plenty of time, then that's a very risky choice. And so that's why we're looking at let's change that. We know that 75% of the people who sign up for 401Ks leave their money in the default option. So that puts a lot of pressure on those people deciding on what that option is. And, And one way
3: to look at it, I've been... Um, so I've been playing around with spreadsheets a lot lately, as I do. And when you when you look at your account and, and imagine the f- your account in the future, the money in your account is going to come from two places. It, it's going to come from your paycheck and you deposit it in the account. And it's going to come from return on those investments. And in over about 10 years' time, kind of regardless of what investments you have, the bulk of that money in 10 years is going to have come out of your pocket. Um but over 20 and 30 years the amount of money that's in there that comes from the the investments you pick hugely dwarfs out what you've put in. So especially over and especially if you have a long time horizon, you know, if you're 20 and just starting working and going to retire when you're 60. Um the money the money that's in there when you're 60 is going to something like eighty or ninety percent of that money is going to be returned and that's going to be dependent on uh on, on what your invest what your investments were.
1: We've got another caller on the line. This time we're gonna visit with Scott in Jackson. Good morning, Scott.
3: Yeah, hey, I have a question. I have a four oh one k to my employer.
5: I've got a few thousand dollars that I want to do some I guess the new term is can you stock how to get started with that. What's the good resource to look information on. Just some
3: stuff investment want to do my own
2: Okay, so you want to do some investing in some individual stocks on your own? Yeah. All right. Well, first of all, you're not going to do it through a 401k. Yeah. Oh, yeah,
4: correct. All
2: right, so you can start up your own uh, investment account. You can open an account at E-Trade, TD Ameritrade, Schwab, any of those, and um, deposit money into that account. Once you do, you can place the trade. Um, if you don't know how to do all of that, they will help you. There are all kinds of resources out there on uh, doing this. We can, you know, now open accounts online, transfer the money electronically. Once it gets in there, just place the trade. I would caution you with doing penny stocks though, <laughs> right? Um, I would say
3: one thing as well for resources, once you open a broker brokerage account, uh, something like Schwab, they're going to have a lot of resources available. There is, what I say about financial information on the internet is 90% of it is genuinely bad advice, uh, so ignore all that, uh, and 9% of it is like, it's fine advice, but it's not for you, uh, and then there's like this tiny amount that you will never find that's actually good good stuff um but one thing about going for going for a resource starting with educational resources just learning about the stock market do that through your brokerage because they will have they will have an education center um they will have vetted materials they will have even probably people you can talk to uh maybe even a local office where they have an event where you can learn about uh learn about investing learn about stocks what it all means and you know then you just start picking. Well,
2: um, one of the things that we I do for my classes, and you might want to try this, you can go to marketwatch.com and you can open up a fake portfolio. And so we do a um, portfolio simulation for the classes, and they start out with $100,000. And what they do is they learn how to trade and something as simple as they don't even realize that they can only trade during certain times of the day. You know, that 10 o'clock at night, they're trying to place a trade and you can't do that when the market's closed. So you learn how to place market orders and limit orders and, and stop orders and you learn what works and what doesn't work. So you might want to try that before you start playing with your real money.
1: And so that was marketwatch.com? Yes. All right. That sounds like a good idea. Uh, we've only, uh, and thanks for the call, Scott. Hope we could give you some information there that was useful. Uh, only got about 20 seconds left. I would say <clears throat> uh, diversity is, is maybe one of the best guards against uh, a risk.
2: Well, d- true diversification. Yeah. Make sure you have truly um, a portfolio that fits well. I, I talk about doing a puzzle. We don't have big gaps in the picture, but it all fits well together. And uh, make sure that you can handle the risk when the market goes crazy, because it will. Make sure it's
3: appropriate for your timeline and what you have.
1: Very good. That's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. If you need to hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash moneytalks. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Patrick Price. So for Nancy Lotra Janderson and writer Tapped, I'm Kevin Farrell. Up next... It's in legal terms. We'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for another Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio.